0: Welcome to the Health Systems Podcast, a podcast series bringing you conversations on the issues shaping health systems in low- and middle-income countries around the world, brought to you by the USAID Local Health System Sustainability Project, LHSS. We'll be sharing learning from the project's work toward a future in which all people have access to affordable, high-quality, essential health services. I'm Debbie Ventimiglia with the LHSS Project. In this episode, we listen in as three health systems experts discuss health system resilience and how COVID-19 has reinvigorated questions about how we can shift from reacting to shocks to building in preparedness. Our moderator today, Rachel Loeb-Costonis, works on infectious disease and global health security at APT Associates. She'll be speaking with James White, LHSS Senior Technical Advisor, for Health System Resilience, and Mona Abdeljawad, Chief of Party for LHSS Jordan. I'll turn it over to Rachel. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel, James, and Mona.
1: Thanks so much, Debbie. I'm glad to be here.
2: Thanks very much. Great to be here with you all.
3: I'm happy to join you all. Thank you.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this discussion on resilience. Uh, just to jump right in, resilience means many different things to different people. An example from my past work might, for example, focus on food security, a country or community's ability to withstand shocks like drought or conflict that can affect people's livelihoods and access to essential needs such as water or food. James, turning over to you, how do we think about resilience in the health sector?
2: Well, you're right, Rachel. Resilience means a lot of things to different people and can often seem rather academic. In practice, we think about a health system's ability to remain resilient in the face of shocks and stressors like emergencies. And we can see how these threaten the partial or total collapse of health services. That means when a health emergency like an epidemic or natural disaster occurs, can the health system adequately surge the services or personnel uh, to meet emergency response needs? Can it continue providing other health services without interruption? Can supply chains and health infrastructure meet the increased needs across society. A resilient health system is one that can survive in the face of the shock and and in fact adapt.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Thanks, James. So then why do you think resilience in the health sector specifically is such a buzzword right now?
2: Yeah, it's due to a number of factors. Obviously, as you mentioned just now, the COVID pandemic was something everyone has just collectively experienced. Uh, But it was really following the Ebola outbreak in 2014, when public health implementers, other stakeholders realized that many countries' health systems were not ready uh, if a massive shock like Ebola occurred and the system would struggle with resilience. COVID-19 put a fresh spotlight on that, and across the globe, we all experienced very viscerally what happens when a system is not ready. As the acute phase of the COVID-19 pandemic is now winding down, we're also more clearly seeing separate needs uh, for system resilience, community resilience, and as many of us experienced uh, individual resilience as part of these emergency responses.
1: I think you've touched on a really interesting idea there, James, this idea of breaking down resilience into tangible concepts at all levels. So, of course, understanding that a system, like a health system, like we're talking about here, needs to be resilient, but it obviously can't do that without the individuals and communities who are themselves resilient to those same shocks at the heart of that system. Can you talk a bit more about how how the LHSS project experienced this?
2: Well, I I can say that as health specialists, data scientists, and program implementers, when a novel virus emerged, uh, we, like many, started focusing on the global implications and working with partners like USAID, the World Health Organization, the CDC, et cetera, uh, we were looking to understand and contribute to the global response. As part of that, we were engaged directly in supporting national governments. I think it's now over 11 countries, uh, and we were asked to help them mount system-wide responses with national partners. We all saw with our own eyes, after the initial lockdowns and travel restrictions, each country, each community, you know, faced and dealt with COVID in their very own way. And it made its way through health systems, Uh, COVID has caused ripple effects throughout all aspects of societies. But let's not also forget that throughout all of this, people were individually dealing with the impacts. I know we're all a bit tired of hearing about COVID, but I don't think there's a better example of how an emergency event can demand resilience from our systems and from our communities and from our people. And I'm very interested, honestly, to hear what Mona and the Jordan team's experience was.
3: Thanks, James. Well, the example from Jordan, Jordan responded to the pandemic through enforcing a complete lockdown uh, for three whole months. So it meant that, of course, a complete shutdown of all services, which included, of course, essential health services. And this opened up a discussion on why telemedicine services was not utilized in, in the country. And we initiated, uh, LHSS initiated a discussion with the private insurance health companies and realized that there is no legislative framework to govern uh, health telemedicine services in Jordan. This meant that we started working with the ministry on developing the framework, and, um, and we are currently very close to... Uh, adopting the telemedicine framework. Of course, digital health uh, holds uh, the potential to improve the efficiency, accessibility, and the quality of healthcare.
1: Thanks for sharing that example, Mona. Uh, Just going back for a moment to some of the lessons other past outbreaks have taught us. When I worked on the Ebola outbreak in the DRC, there was indeed a dialogue, a really important dialogue around trying to link emergency response efforts to longer term development actors. So how successful have global stakeholders and partners been in in doing exactly that?
2: You're absolutely right. The question for years among those of us who've been working in outbreak and emergency response way before COVID was how long can we, i.e. the world, stop reacting to events and start responding? And that means with intent, you know, start pre-planning instead of pontificating when an emergency occurs.
1: Thanks, James. Mona, can you talk about a specific example of this transition from your work in Jordan? How did LHSS use the COVID 19 emergency to build and promote long term resilience in the country?
3: Yes. Thank you for the question. In Jordan, the Ministry of Health, like in other countries, had issues with their surveillance program. Uh, like other countries in the world, the ministry was overstretched with uh, and was short on staffing. So the ministry reached out to LHSS to support with their surveillance efforts. And LHSS helped the Ministry of Health build a partnership with the private sector, which is the Jordan Nursing Syndicate, to operationalize a call center uh, staffed by 400 nurses. The nurses basically uh, conducted calls with each and every confirmed case, COVID-19 case, uh, to explain home isolation protocols, gather demographic and health data, and identify their contacts. Uh, Based on this information, the surveillance teams were uh, dispatched in a very targeted manner.
1: Mm. Thanks, Mona. Seems like a really impactful intervention. How did working with the private sector in Jordan specifically strengthen these efforts and overall resilience?
3: Well, this this collaboration was a great way to introduce the Ministry of Health to the mobilization of the private sector, which was a novel experience for them. Uh, we see our efforts uh, as a way to uh, contribute to long-term resilience. After the pandemic, LGSS Jordan also supported uh, the preparedness through uh, providing uh, full guidance and documentation on managing such call centers to the Ministry of Health, and we conducted an evaluation of the call center effectiveness, uh, which indicated that it was really effective in relation to supporting uh, the detection of cases through surveillance uh, efforts. And uh, also, the ministry is planning on conducting a national workshop to exchange on lessons learned related to the call center and its effectiveness in, uh, uh, in developing and supporting surveillance efforts.
1: Thanks, Mona. It's really interesting to hear more about this call center work. But I can imagine building resilience can be challenging because you need to ensure buy-in from the government, the Ministry of Health, like you've talked about, as well as numerous other partners and stakeholders. How many times have we all heard that coordination is key, right? How many papers have we read and how many events have we been at? How do you go about ensuring that that buy-in is present in Jordan?
3: Yeah, there is nothing easy about creating a uh, private and public partnership, I can tell you that. LHSS chose um, collaborating, learning, and adapting approaches, which is CLA, of course, to optimize the management of the call center and response to the changing COVID-19 situation. Um, this included using uh, you know, tools like scenario planning, data for decision making, adaptive management, continuous learning and improvement, this, uh, you know, um, uh, developed a set of, we had to develop a set of assumptions, right? Because COVID came in waves. So um, we used scenario planning to determine the number of nurses we needed for the polls, depending on the number of, uh, you know, uh, confirmed cases in, in the different waves. When the wave was at, uh, at, at when the wave increased, the call center was fully utilized for the surveillance and ha- home isolation counseling. But then we had times when the wave actually and the cases decreased, the call center adapted and we needed to use um, um, the call center to monitor adverse side effects of vaccines or even promote um, and encourage people for, to take up vaccinations. So the collaboration, learning, and adaptation approach really fostered the relationship between the ministry and the nursing syndicate. It allowed for dialogue, discussion of options, coordination, and regular feedback and adaptation.
1: Thanks so much, Mona. James, you work closely with national and subnational laboratory and diagnostic teams in several countries. Is there something that we can take from this work specifically that can apply to resilience against future threats beyond COVID?
2: Absolutely. Uh, And thanks for that great example from Jordan, Mona. I think, you know, as COVID has become less of an acute threat, I'd really like to take everyone back to February 2020 when the world faced a novel virus. I mean, we need to remember that initially we didn't know what we were dealing with. It was truly something new. And in so many ways, we were fortunate that it turned out to be a coronavirus. We had existing experience from which we could draw We learned from past efforts to detect this threat. Uh, To remain resilient in an initial phase, it was all about specimens and labs. We all remember that diagnostics became paramount. Swabs and testing kits, laboratory equipment, computer networks for finding and tracking the results. You know, the systems for broad scale up of these structures for national level were weak in many, if not most parts of the world, even in the most developed systems. So, you know, reinforcing them, upgrading them and connecting them became and remains a crucial resiliency task. You know, that's one example, specimens and analytics. We have even touched on resilience in the intensive care units, long-term care homes, supermarkets, and all the other components of our communities that required similar resiliency attention.
3: What about in Jordan, Mona? Yes, as in many countries, in reaction to the pandemic, LHS has conducted a lot of capacity building around PCR and antigen testing for lab technicians in Jordan. It also created a lot of awareness on the uh, COVID-19 created a lot of awareness on the importance of the lab sector as a whole. To reinforce the system and respond to future pandemics, we put in place uh, certified trainers at the Ministry of Health to ensure that these training programs continue and are sustained beyond the pandemic and are readily available and increase the preparedness. We also uh, are now working on securing the national quality accreditation for the Central Public Laboratory Health Laboratory, which is the main diagnostic lab in Jordan, this will pave the way to ensure that all MOH diagnostic labs are accredited and capable of responding to future pandemics more effectively.
1: Thanks, Mona. You know, that example really shows how even a single component of the health system that's under threat can truly threaten the whole system. So what's next now in the dialogue on resilience? Is addressing all this interconnected parts of the health system to build resilience, something we're just talking about, or is this something
3: that we can truly implement in practice? We'd love to hear from you, Mona. Well, I can say that in Jordan, the pandemic also created a lot of awareness on the importance of improving the quality of services in intensive care units. As mortality and morbidity uh, indicators came from across the globe, COVID revealed serious weaknesses in the ICU outcomes due to a shortage of qualified, properly trained health personnel and a lack of accurate mechanisms to verify the competencies of workers inside ICU. To combat this, early in 2023, the MOH launched a new competency framework for ICU healthcare providers to ensure efficient and high-quality services in ICUs across the country, This effort is a direct response to the challenges Jordan faced during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic also allowed, for the very first time, uh, the first cohort of critical care fellows, uh, and we supported that through a partnership with the Jordanian-American Physicians Organization based in the U.S., where Jordanian-American doctors provided direct education services to MOH uh, physicians, through regular exchange visits and online webinars and journal clubs. We expect the first cohort of intensivists to graduate next year in 2024.
1: Now, what about you, James? You know, sometimes resilience feels like a term that's really heavy stuck in the academia and the academic papers and the journal articles. As we look to make resilience work more practical and implementable across the globe, what are some of the future steps we can take to make this actionable?
2: Thanks, Rachel. Well, from my side, I think the resilience conversation around recent events, uh, including COVID, has crucially opened up and broadened the resilience dialogue. In the future, we're now very aware that we're going to need to look at our uh, human health, animal health, ecosystems, you know, the whole world that we look in. This is beyond health systems or emergency response. We're talking about other important and much broader issues of human and indeed global resilience. Um, What I mentioned is the One Health concept, you know, for example, which underscores that the importance of resilience and preparedness for us humans, uh, for our animals, it all depends on how we interact in our shared environment. So I think, again, our resilience is connected to everything else and we're starting to acknowledge that much more broadly.
1: Hmm. It's a very timely topic with COVID certainly. We're hearing words like One Health, antimicrobial resistance, AMR, zoonosis, as you talked about, pathogens that jump from animals to humans as these most pressing threats. And we're hearing about them so much more frequently. Can you shed some light on what these intersections truly are between animals, human, and the environment, and what that really means?
2: Right. Well, again, I think that our collective human experience with SARS, malaria, H1N1, Ebola, Zika, not just COVID-19, that these have been a crash course for the whole world on numerous aspects of infectious disease, preparedness, management, and response. One Health is a concise way of just saying, look, the health of the human species depends on the health of the animals we share space with. It depends on the safety of our environments and food supply. It depends on the climate and how that impacts this ecosystem we're reliant on. Uh, The CDC, USAID, and others have put forward great academic and practical uh, frameworks uh, that we can use for One Health. And I think our collective experience shows it's indeed more than a concept. It's a way of thinking that can help us bring human, animal, and environmental stakeholders together, uh, to plan together, to prepare together. And this is the resiliency planning we're saying is so key. This includes dialogue across society around really key issues like AMR. Antimicrobial resistance, and, and that's what many believe is most likely the next global pandemic will face. Or zoonosis, the transfer of disease between humans and animals. Or maybe it's a virus we're not even aware of because it's currently melting out from the permafrost due to climate change. In all corners of the globe, these problems are the same, and truly implementing the principles of One Health is a major priority uh, for all of us in the coming years.
1: Absolutely, James. And might I add a very nice nod to a popular TV show currently. Mona, what are you hearing about One Health in Jordan?
3: Yeah, well, the discussion is starting for sure. In Jordan, um, seven zoonotic uh, diseases were identified as being of great significance. Rabies uh, was ranked as the number one priority disease, followed by uh, Middle East respiratory syndrome, avian influenza, brucellus, and others. Researchers are starting to work to support decision makers to address zoonotic diseases in Jordan. Recommendations put forward by experts include establishing a One Health platform, surveillance, laboratory preparedness, planning, outbreak response, and workforce to approach priority diseases. Respondents identified data sharing, coordination, event-based surveillance, and effective communication channels as vital areas to enhance prevention and control strategies, conduct joint uh, outbreak investigations, and improve multi Sectorial collaboration and uh, the Jordan CDC has been recently established in Jordan and now it's spearheading all of these efforts.
1: Thanks so much, Mona. All of those sound vitally important if we're going to start adequately addressing the zoonotic threats we already know about, like COVID and others you've mentioned, and preparing for the even bigger ones we don't. If we take off our One Health hat for just a moment, Mona, if I were to ask you, what is the biggest lesson you learned from the
3: pandemic? What would that be? Thank you for the question, Rachel. I believe um, thinking back that a missing piece from our view on pandemics is that they are also a mental health crisis. And I cannot stress that enough. I think one of the biggest gaps that require preparedness is to support the mental health of clinical staff and emergency workers. In a gender study um, on healthcare providers that we um, conducted as LHSS uh, in Jordan, healthcare providers were talking about immense stress and anxiety uh, while treating patients when they had no time to handle the risk they that posed on themselves and their loved ones. Dealing with infectious disease outbreak is, of course, very stressful. But then to add to that, making sure that your family is not infected, moving from the hospital to complete isolation at home, specific issues for women who are caring for their children, regardless of the possibility of being infected themselves or infecting their loved ones. And most importantly, the widespread discrimination that healthcare providers face within their communities.
1: I think that's a really critical point, Mona, that the virus affected humans through the physical impacts of disease, but also affected people and communities through these mental health impacts of sustaining this crisis. I know that LHSS Jordan did some work on this. Can you speak to that, Mona?
3: So to help uh, address this, LHSS created online courses to provide mental health tools for healthcare providers working with COVID. But beyond that, I believe that one very critical element of resilience is being prepared to deal with the mental health aspect of pandemics. Healthcare professionals need tools and the mechanisms to be able to deal with the stress, the anxiety, while also being the frontliners and the heroes. This, of course, includes support mechanisms for patients and their families and for the community as a whole.
1: Thank you, Mona. That's so important. And I think that's actually a great way for us to conclude. As we're thinking about building and promoting resilience, we really, as a, as a global community, need to underscore that this is a task for everyone. Thank you all.